Hello and welcome to We're Listening, the podcast all about Frasier. I'm Will. I'm Key. And this week we are looking at Season 1, Episode 6, The Crucible. So Key, in this episode, Frasier buys a very famous piece of art and it's kind of hijinks ensues therein. I wanted to ask you, do you have a favourite artist or work of art? I, I don't, but I um, I was walking around Birmingham a few years ago and I saw this really, really cool little exhibition they had on. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it was called something like Genuine Fakes. Okay. And it was this guy, the one guy had done it all. And um, basically he used to be an art forger and he'd gone to prison and done time for it. And since wow. he'd come out, he now does these paintings, which are all, you know, very like Starry Night and things like that was there. And it's him basically copying it, but they look phenomenal. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm wow. not an art dealer or anything, but to look at it, to me, I wouldn't have known the difference. Um, so his kind of reputation is built on this kind of really authentic recreation slash, you know, intended plagiarism of famous famous pieces of art. Yeah, basically. Yeah, what, what he used to forge them, and now he's just honest about it and charges, I think, something like two to three grand for a painting. Wow. Um, I mean, if, if I, even if I knew it was a fake, if someone could give me Starry Night that looks like almost as if, you know, Van Gogh had painted it, I'd, I'd, I'd be, if I had the money, I'd definitely take him up on that. That sounds really good. Honestly, when I was there, if I'd have had two to three grand to, to spend on a painting, <laughs> I assure you, I'd pocket do change. Not. Um, but had I had the money, I'd have bought it there. It looked phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. But that is the closest I've ever had to, you know, wanting to really buy a painting and, and have a, put it on my walls and have it on show. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, I, I, my, I look at a lot of American art in kind of the work I do, the research I do. But, I mean, Edward Hopper is probably one of my favorites. Um, and you, you'll have, even if you don't know the name, although you may well know the name, you'll be familiar with Nighthawks. It's one of his most famous paintings. It's yeah. like, yeah, three people kind of in a diner um, in the middle of the night. And it's it's this kind of the loneliness of the city, really, is what he's going to capture. But yeah, if I could have any painting on my wall, it would probably be an Edward Hopper painting. I think his, uh, hmm. his are really good. Whilst we're at the beginning of the episode this week, we're going to mix things up a little bit. And we're going to have all of the trivia that we prepared for ourselves kind of front loaded. Um, so I think that, I think that's this will be better than, than we normally just kind of hapdash ask each other as the episode goes on and I think last week I ended up forgetting two of my questions to the very end of the episode and for a very special treat this week we owe a big thank you to My Coffee with Niles who is a user on the subreddit of Frasier on the on the website Reddit and he sent us in three questions that I'm going to ask you now to oh, test God. your knowledge Key are you ready? Is it from this episode or just generally about Frasier? They are about this episode he's been very okay. good or, or she I'm, I'm assuming it is a he I could be wrong uh, they have kind of tailored it to this episode so okay. and I, I've double checked that none of our questions seem to kind of overlap so I'm going to ask you them now Question one, during Frasier's cocktail party, Maris becomes exhausted under the pressure to be interesting and is hiding away where in the apartment? Uh, She's under the coats on the bed. Yes, she is. Can you remember whose bed she's on? Oh, is it Frasier's bed? Yes, it is. It's on Frasier's bed asleep under the guest coats. Um, we have that lovely throwaway line later in the episode where <laughs> Niles just kind of nonchalantly tells someone to <laughs> chuck their coat in Fraser's room. So question two from My Coffee with Niles. After unsuccessfully attempting to return the forged painting, Fraser calls the police and humorously asks for which department? Oh, is it the fine art forgery department? It is. You're on it fire is. tonight, oh. Key. You're on fire tonight. Fine <laughs> arts forgery department. A suggestion by Martin, of course. Do you think there is a fine arts forgery department in the world? I, I'm 100% sure there are areas of various police forces which 
investigate things like art fraud and things like that. So there yeah. must be some kind of fine arts fraud, forgery teams out there. Yeah, I feel a bit aggrieved for Fraser in this episode. I'm not going to touch on the episode too much because obviously we haven't got into the review yet, but um, I would <laughs> want to be taken seriously if I'd paid three or four grand for a painting and it's clearly a, a hoax, you know. Yeah, it, I don't want to say too much because obviously we're going to get into the scenes, but it's I, I think Fraser's got a right to want to smash his window in, to be honest. So do I, and I think, you know, he's a bit smarmy, which we'll get to. Yeah. I think I think he's asking for it. But before we move on to the episode, question three, the last question prepared okay. by my coffee with Niles. In his youth, what barbarous act of revenge had young Niles planned against his childhood coach only to be stopped by Frasier? Oh, okay. He was going to put something in like his gas tank. You are correct. Oh, Can what, you remember what? what he wants to put in his gas tank? Oh, This line oh. always gives me pause for thought because it's so... I, I didn't know this was a thing that this has like... I don't know if this is like an intentional thing people do because it, it has some kind of chemical reaction or it's just something to chuck in there. I don't know. Oh, I, I remember what it, some, if, whatever it was, I remember thinking it was a weird thing to put in a gas tank and I didn't know if it would actually do anything. Yeah, uh, exactly the is, same here. Is it something like sugar or something like that? Yes, it is. It is, is sugar. sugar cake. You've absolutely smashed it. <laughs> Three out of three. Big thank you to my coffee with Niles. Um, I have kind of reached out to uh, to them and said if they want to become our resident quizzer each week, then they will be uh, welcome to send send some more in and yeah, try and coax fantastic. some others on the subreddit. But yeah, three good questions there. And I can now move on to mine and you've got yours for me. So we yep. can kind of go back and forth now if you want. Okay. Number one for me, for my questions, just how bald is Martha Paxton? Um, I'm guessing the answer you want is not very. She's that is not old. the answer I'm looking for. That is a specific image used by someone in the show to um, describe how bald she is. I'm think, I think this is the line you're referring to. There's a wonderful moment where um, Frasier turns around and says she's as bold as a Crenshaw melon. Is Crenshaw that... melon? That is not exactly it. the answer I was looking for. I, I love Martin. the delivery on that line. It's, it's so bad. good. Is she still there? As a Crenshaw melon, <laughs> yes. Um, so my first question... Mm-hmm. Um, how old is Frasier? Oh my goodness! It is mentioned I in the episode. Did not know this was referenced in the episode. <laughs> um, when when does this come up? Can you give me that clue? So when uh, Martin gives him a bit of, you know, you've got your X years old. You, it's oh. that time you realise life isn't perfect. Wow. Um, I'm he's he's in his thirties, I think. No, maybe he's. <laughs> Maybe slightly over four. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go thirty-eight. Oh, I mean, you're not far off. Forty-one. Forty-one. Damn it. My initial gut actually was forty-two, but I would still have been wrong. So <laughs> that's good. That's a good question. I uh, also the meaning of life. If you've watched Hitchhiker's Guide to the yeah. Galaxy, yeah, it is nice reference yeah. there. Okay, yeah. number two on my questions. What is Paxton's painting called? Okay, I think I know this because um, I absolutely love this little bit of dialogue from Frasier. Um, yeah. I think it's called Elegy in Green. Yes, it is. Elegy and in I, Green, which is so plausible in kind of the art world, I think. Yeah, it's such a, it's a, I, I love the way this episode really takes the mick, I think, out of the art world and people oh, like Frasier. Yeah. Um, but I, just, I love the way he says, you know, please let us, tell us about it in your own words. And then he just gives his little spiel about it. Like, Elegy in Green, in your own words. The way you insinuate the palette, but never lean on it. 
You've captured the zeitgeist of our generation. It is the most perfect canvas it has ever been my privilege to gaze upon. That, and the way he's kind of, I'm doing it right now, like sitting at my desk, the way he's yeah, kind so of animating all over with his place. arms. <laughs> he looks like William Shatner in those, in like the kind of family guy riff of uh, Star Trek. He's jumping all around. My second question. Hit what me. was the name of the coach at Niles' school? Uh, I have a feeling it ends with like an ick. It does, yeah. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. Because I know it ends with an ick, but you're going to have to tell me. Okay, so I'll give you heart. It does end in an ick. It is uh, Coach Medwick. Coach Medwick, damn it. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's a good question. That's a good one. You've got me there. I'm not doing very well. You've got two of two out of two on mine, and I am I'm flailing to get I'll a point like in yours. You've asked like nice questions, whereas I've got these obscure little one line. No, but I want the obscurity. <laughs> like I, you, you, you're so good at kind of forming the questions that you uh, yeah, you catch me out every week. Okay, let's see. If I, uh, you're going to get this one. Question three. Where did the art dealer tour to get his wine? Uh, I'm pretty sure I know it. Is it the Loire Valley? It is the Loire Valley, yeah. a very famous wine producing region of the world. Key, you've got three out of three. How do you feel? Oh, I feel great. I'm going to Disneyland, I tell you. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so my third and final question. What number mm -hmm. did Fraser ring for the police? Oh, I, Martin calls out the number yeah. to him oh my god this is this is the kind of thing that when i'm watching the episode i remember thinking live at the time oh i might make a note of that because key will probably ask and i didn't um <laughs> it's gonna be like i don't know oh one hundred double one double seven i don't know <laughs> it is uh five 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 three thousand oh my god I, oh, this bit gets me yeah is it because Fraser's in such a tiz that martin knows he's not really listening and so he can kind of be suggestive like that and Fraser will just lap it up because obviously Fraser Fraser knows the number for the police so is that the joke here that he's kind of wrapped up in his own kind of hubris that he's not really listening possibly i didn't i wasn't really sure at all to be honest like i wasn't even i was thinking maybe he just shouts it out and, and fraser rings a different number because surely he would know the number for the police yeah i i, I don't know and, if he's, he's kind of martin's riffing on the fact that fraser's so irate that he's just yeah. gonna listen to anything anyone says or, or, or not in the, in the yeah. case yeah okay so some good some good trivia there uh thank you to my coffee with niles and of course the uk for those three excellent questions so the episode kicks off with well, we're in KSCL again. I think this is like the third kind of cold opening, as it were, um, that takes place in KSCL. A slightly stranger opening for me, because I think uh, it opens with, you see the like the dial or the needle mm. on, on some of the radio equipment, which yeah. is it's just a bit different to the usual openings we have, I think. Yeah, I quite like that. It's kind of, yeah. I feel like the director of this episode is maybe kind of adding their own little flavours, their own little touches a little bit. I like, I like stuff like that. There's a, there's a few shots. I mean, we talked about a really iconic perhaps for all the wrong reasons shot at the end of last episode with irene obviously that's a directorial kind of decision that someone yeah. has made so yeah i think it's it's interesting to see kind of little little flashes like that it is interesting and, and kind of strange to, to open with the dials yeah completely agree but it's it's nice i like it it's works well it does work well and even better because the dials are i mean i wasn't paying attention to what they look like whether they were lighting up or moving but presumably there's nothing happening because no one is calling into kcl and Frasier has to threaten everyone listening with singing That's Amore, which I don't think anyone would want to listen to. <laughs> Though, as we've talked about, Kelsey Grammer's got a good voice. Frasier, as a character, is meant to be able to have a good voice. 
So it doesn't quite work for me that singing is is how he would have like revenge on people. Only if he was tone deaf would this would this joke work. Yeah, I mean, if Kel- if I tune into the radio and Kelsey Grammer was singing, I'd more than happily sit and listen to it. I think I would as well. Uh, I think, and well, I've heard him speak actually on our radios because he did an interview on BBC Radio Two about. Oh, it's going to be about two, two, three years ago now. But he was advertising a play he was in, and they did an interview with him on Radio Two. And he's just got that, you know, he has that voice. I would easily listen to a show he hosted. Yeah, and he can sing because I, I think he's actually. I mean, it might have closed now, but recently he was in an opera, I think, in London. Wow, um, I didn't know with, that. Incredibly, Nicholas Lindhurst, who played Rodney in Only Falls and Good Horses. Good lord, also, really? The two also of was in it. Yeah, the two of them were in it together. I'm not sure what parts they played or, or what the, the opera was, but. I definitely saw an interview with the two of them together. That so, is yeah. really cool. Yeah, we have no one calling in. We have Fraser singing. Also clocked that Roz is drinking from one of the KACL AM mugs. I don't know if you noticed that. No, I didn't. No. Yeah, so she's drinking from one of those white mugs that has the KACL logo on. And you can buy these online. They're quite common. They're quite popular. Like sh- Shops like Redbubble, Etsy, mm. the usual kind of uh, those those sites where people can custom make little bits of merchandise. That you can buy those, and I've always been tempted to get one. I mean, are you a big novelty mug owner, or are you someone who drinks from the same mug every day religiously? Um, yeah, to be honest with you, I think all the mugs I own, I've just stolen from people's houses. I don't think <laughs> I've ever bought a mug. Like when you, you, you move out, you go round someone's house for a cup no, of tea, but... and they just leave with the mug. <laughs> <laughs> when you move out. Everyone says, oh, we've got loads of knives, forks, mugs, to take them. <laughs> and you do. And then you end up with too many. And then so, you know, if you or, or Carl get your own place anytime soon, I'm going to be giving you mugs because wow. we all, everyone who's got, a, everyone just wants to get rid of mugs. That's, I think that's what life's about, really. You, you strike me as someone, I, I don't know why, but clearly this is wrong after what you've just said, who hoards the, you remember the big mini eggs mug that used to come oh. in the Easter eggs? Yeah. Like yeah. everyone has that mug. It was gigantic. And like the sports direct mug that everyone at university has and like the joke is that if you if you knock that thing over you're going to flood the house because it's huge (laughs) yeah you struck me as someone who has a big novelty mug collection so you surprised me with that revelation okay i'm not a big mug user i I, weirdly enough i have a lot of pint glasses and drink out of pint glasses what do you drink your tea and coffee out of (laughs) don't tell me don't say pint glass okay because i'm gonna i'm gonna have to end the recording oh well 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 Um, do you actually have you done that no, I've never, I've never have done it. We I'd, have... I'd be tempted though. I think, it, I think the aesthetic of some tea in a glass, in a glass, might actually look quite cool. I think that'd really throw me off though, because in a mug, I know exactly how much milk and water I'm adding. Yeah, that's I, a good if shout. I put actually, a glass, it would really just screw me up. It's incredible. We're just swapping the receptacle. How quickly basic grasp of tea making goes out the window. Yeah, probably I mean, the most I... British discussion we've had on the podcast so far. Yeah, there's a lot of. I think anyone who's listening to this outside of of the UK is, is probably tuning out right now. <laughs> yeah, they probably are. They're probably they're probably like I've had enough of the Brits and their tea <laughs> in the 19th century, the 18th well, century. Great quote from Fraser, one of my favourites uh, from this episode, and he he goes on his rant where he talks about uh, Italia, the rolling hills of Toscana, the art of Firenze, the passion that is Venezia. Yeah, well, anyway. <laughs> so pretentious, but he just has this like, quiet moment where he's basically like, he's having like Fraser's equivalent of an orgasm, just at <laughs> someone describing Italy to him, which I just think is fantastic. I, I, have, I tell you what, Gary is one of my favourite callers. Really? Why is I, that? I, 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 I love this. I love that Fraser is just so pompous. 
mm. in his it's discre- I mean he could work for you know Italy's tourism department he could be on the tourist board yeah and then you know Gary is just oh well, I'm gonna get the sump pump <laughs> I just, I we love- have that the line there's more to life than sump pumps did you know what a sump pump was before this episode? I have no idea what one is no all I know is that when I need one on that. Yeah, and when when Roz says that in the line in, in the episode, for years I always I never knew what one was, and that line always has a bit of mystery to me. And I was like, oh, is it something a bit risque, a little bit rude? Just why why Roz says that, and it gets you know a laugh from the from the studio audience. And it, it's literally just you you usually have them in like a basement, and it's if the basement floods, it pumps the water out of the basement. Oh, um, that does make sense. I mean, my my uncle has an auntie uncle have literally had to use one recently because their house semi flooded in the uh, recent storm Dennis that ravaged uh, ravaged Britain over the last kind of week or so. Yeah. So yeah, I mean they have to use one, but I don't think we call them sump pumps. But yeah, the principle's the same. Oh, I I don't know anyone who has a basement, so. I don't know anyone that's got a basement, actually. They're really not very big in this country, are they? I mean, I don't even know. Maybe they're more common in a certain part of the UK than, than others. Um, I can't... I don't know anyone that's got a basement. Uh, but I, I think generally our houses do tend to be smaller than most other countries, I think. Yeah, American houses are far bigger than ours. Oh, you get every, way more bang for your buck in the US. Every American um, house I've ever seen is gorgeous. The, the, yeah, and a lot of basements are interesting and kind of. A, I, I think of so many high school films and, and TV shows I've seen. I'm thinking right now of like Freaks and Geeks and, and Dazed and Confused and stuff like that, where the teenager always has the bedroom in the in the basement and they you know they can play their guitar down there so no one will hear them and it's just like they're interesting psychological spaces, aren't they? Because you're always kind of separated from the main house and the main family. And I don't know, they're just they're interesting. I think in a weird yeah, way. And I, th- I think for sitcoms as well, it works really well because it's sort of just a place you could sort of hold up the character away it's still in the house but it's kind of it feels separated from the house in a way yeah and i think on a show like frazier the the storeroom is like uh, the elliott bay towers equivalent of a basement and that you know a few key plot moments happen in that storeroom space quest already frazier goes there to relax and you know it's his only sanctuary in season three when he's in a relationship with kate costas they end up kind of getting it on or almost getting it on in there so so we have at this point in the in the kati scene Frasier talking well rather shamelessly name dropping Martha Paxton the fact that he has recently acquired a piece of art by her presumably in the world of the show she is the eminent artist of Seattle everyone has heard of her who's anyone who's anyone really and so he invents a cocktail party for her. And when it kind of cuts to the to the cocktail party, which is essentially the you know the scene after KCL, it's a really typical kind of crane boy cocktail party I've written down. I don't know if, if that's how you reacted to seeing it. It is, yeah. I mean, for me, I think this is the first party we see any of them throw, I think. I think it is, yeah. And I, I, I like that because I think they're always a high point in episodes because something stupid always happens at one yeah and i think this one sets the standard for what to expect really nicely i think yeah do you mean in this episode or do you mean kind of for dinner parties more generally going forward in the show for dinner parties more generally going forward i think this sort of sets the scene of what we can expect Mm. for a a fraser crane party and later on we have obviously niles's parties as well um and things like that i think it, it becomes a this becomes a very typical sort of atmosphere that he has um when he has mm. guests around and i really like it i think that it works really well yeah I, one thing we we've i'm not sure if we talked about it in previous episodes but 
it was in the the piece that I, I wrote for Little White Lies, which I, I think I did plug in a in an earlier episode. This isn't trying to self-publicize my work. Um, but I talked about the, there's there's quite a big thing about Seattle tourism in the nineties and there was a huge boom really in migration to, to the Pacific Northwest and particularly to Seattle off the back of Frasier. And it's because a lot of people watched, you know, watched Frasier's life in his apartment and his weeks are just filled with symphony visits and museum tours and exhibitions, gallery openings and cocktail parties like this one. And, you know, people saw this and thought, oh, I want a slice of that. I want to move to a, you know, a cosmopolis like Seattle and, and have a cocktail party. And I think it does a really good job of making Fraser's life look just so enviable. Yeah, it's, it, it, it really makes Seattle come across as a very cultural city. Yeah, which, you know, which it is. It's got a famously, like, you know, good art scene and so many famous musicians were born there. And um, kind of musically, it's great. Yeah, we talked but... about Seattle being in a different in a different episode, I think, how it's kind of more European than most American cities as well. So... I think it's something I do really well because I think a lot of other shows, they might have a city as a setting, but it's never really about the city. And, you know, if you look at Cheers, they might have been mm. in Boston, but they're in a bar. Other shows, I think, you know, things like How I Met Your Mother, I think, I want to say New York, something like that. Again, yeah, I think you never see them doing cultural things. It's set in a bar. So I think this show, because of the nature of the show it is and the fact that it's perhaps a bit more intellectual and, and it, that's and it has these more upper class characters, it can sort of plug the different the diversity of different cultural events and activities that are going on in the city in a way that other shows just don't really do so much. Yeah, absolutely. We, we've talked at length about the, the literary influences and how the writers were kind of embracing the kind of high culture, high brow stuff. But yeah, it does a really good job of, 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 of showing kind of high culture, which, you know, I'm not don't really believe it. I think you enjoy what you enjoy. Culture is culture. But it makes a really good case for this kind of way of life, like going to the opera, going to museums. It looks cool and dare I say, trendy in, in the world of Frasier. So, you know, you watch it and you think, you know, maybe I'm not such a square for wanting to, to visit the the gallery opening near me. Um, yeah. You know, if, if it's good enough for Frasier, it's good enough for me. I think they strike the balance really well in terms, you know, as a member of the audience, even if you're not necessarily into opera and things like that, you're not sitting there sort of rolling your eyes thinking, oh God, this again sort of thing. I think mm. they've just they do it really nicely in sort of an inclusive way. I think it works really well. Yeah, I think it does. And um, while kind of while we're on the subject of kind of culture and museums and parties, I've just made a really brief note about the piano playing because obviously this is the first time we see a professional pianist that Fraser has hired uh, to soundtrack the the dinner party. And I just think that I don't know what he's playing, but he's really, really nice. It really struck me when I was listening. Um, one of the one of my favorite musicians is Vince. I think it's Garaldi. I'm not quite sure how to say his surname, but he was in a jazz trio. And he's most famous for, I would say, uh, he did the soundtrack to a Charlie Brown Christmas. Oh, really? And I have the soundtrack to Charlie Brown Christmas on vinyl. And it is just the nicest, but also kind of haunting and melancholy at times, but generally very sweet kind of Christmas soundtrack with a chorus of children. But this lovely jazz piano kind of vibe. And it's just, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you're very into jazz pianists, Key, but if you are, I reckon you should check this guy out. I'll definitely make sure that I will, yeah. He's uh, He's got, yeah, it's really, really, in fact, if, if I wasn't going to get banned or copyrighted, even though we we are using copyright material, it'd be nice to have a Vince Guaraldi track kind of running in the background, I think, while we talk. That'd be quite nice. So we have, at this point as well, when the party's introduced, Daphne telling everyone what happens when you die. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what your kind of thoughts were to this moment. I think it was surprisingly uplifting. 
Nithirion Deathy. First, you whisk down a long, dark tunnel towards a beautiful white light. You suddenly get all the jokes you never got before. You let out a little chuckle, and then you die. <laughs> it is. I think it, it's. I was a bit, I wasn't quite sure of Daphne's role in this scene because she mm. sta- she networks very very well because they all laugh at the sort of I don't know if it's a joke or just her her philosophy, her morbid humour. Yeah, morbid philosophy. Really, I don't yeah. think she is joking. <laughs> Um, but they all laugh, and and it seems like they all really like it. And then all of a sudden, Fraser comes over and tells her to, uh, I think, get drinks or something like that. Yeah, he's pretty dismissive of her because obviously he sees her as low culture intermingling with his high culture. But I think having someone like Daphne at one of your dinner parties would have a a pretty good currency because she's she's British, she's eccentric, you know, she's something about her that Fraser can kind of wheel around and say, "Oh, look, you know, this is something that you don't have at your apartment." So. You know, yeah. and I think the way that he's, I think the fact as well that he's kind of got, I mean, I know her role obviously is a physical therapist, but he's kind of got a bit of a helper or a cleaner or, or whatever her official job, job title is around the house. Mm. I think Fraser is the sort of person who would point that out that he's got, he employs someone. Yeah, yeah, that he has staff, that he has yeah. people. Obviously, we have like, you know, jokes later in the show when Niles talks about, you know, people he, he he wants to have people who sort out his problems and stuff so yeah they're both pretty snooty when it comes to i think i think having staff to them is a is a status thing so in this scene as well we find out as we've already alluded to in the trivia um mm-hmm. maris falls asleep under the guest's coast uh coats we do now there's one bit i didn't get from this um fraser says to niles that she's meant to be there to look after martin right is maris the sort of person you want looking after martin is that why you'd invite her i'm not I didn't really get that. Um, does he mean because he at one point he says to Niles or to Daphne to keep an eye on Martin because obviously he doesn't want Martin to go around, you know, saying horrible things or showing pictures of dead hookers to you know other members of the party. So does, does, when he says look after her, does he mean you know Maris is meant to be mingling as a guest, but she's meant to be there to kind of just keep an eye that on Martin that he doesn't step out of line socially? Do you think that's what he means? Possibly. But again, still, I don't know if she'd be the right person for that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. She it, it, she isn't, she comes across, or even six episodes in, is like really unfeeling and uncaring. So she wouldn't be the kind of person you would ask to do that. Yeah, and think. it feels strange that for someone who is, as you know, so unreliable as her in showing up to things. Yeah. It's just strange to me that Fraser has allocated her a job role for the evening. Yeah, maybe it's just kind of, yeah, characteristic of Fraser to be a bit you know arrogant and, and and kind of take that take that initiative and say oh Niles you know you can only bring Maris if she's doing this for me and it's all the, the you know the whole party is one giant ego trip for him so yeah it, it maybe it's just kind of buying into that self-serving philosophy that this this episode's really built on I've, I've I've jotted down here when Fraser has his uh his freak out about all the things that are going wrong with the episode he describes the Pinot Noir as far too what can you remember oh God, um, this is, I shouldn't. I shouldn't ask you questions outside of trivia corner at the beginning of the episode. But I'm going to break a few rules. I've not got a clue. The only thing I remember is, I think I was focused on the fact. I think was it around the same time that Eddie is eating the duck or something? Yeah, like it that? is Eddie the and duck confit. I was too busy trying to write down exactly what he was eating because I thought that would be one of your trivia questions. <laughs> uh, missed the Come next on. line, so I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Basically, he just says the Pinot Noir is far too stagey, which I just think it's just it's a it's a real throwaway line. But 
for, for someone like Frazier to think of wine is stagey, that the wine is making too much of a statement, I just think if there are if, if there are a few quotes to pull out that just define who he is and what he cares about, that tiny line moment in this episode is one of them, I think. Yeah, that is such a clever line to write because it's a line that a lot of people, I think, on first watch would probably miss that line. Mm. And yet it's just such a quintessential Frasier line. It just shows the thought that has been put into every single line. Yeah, he, he says the line so fast as well, which is kind of why I made a note of it, because I was like, well, maybe Key won't have caught that. He says it so quickly that I had to, you know, d- double check on KACL780.net that that's what he says. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's written so quickly, but spoken so quickly, rather. But yeah, a great little, uh, a great little line. So at this point in the party, we have <laughs> La Paxstone, as Fraser calls her. Uh, we have Martha Paxton arriving. I mean... There's not a whole lot of character building done before she arrives in this in this scene. The only the only thing we know about her is what Fraser says in KACL at the beginning of the episode. Did you have any kind of idea what to expect when he opens that door? Not at all. No, no. I don't. All you know is that she's this eminent, um, mysterious. Yeah, this, we know that she's Paxton, and everyone seems to know her. Um, but no, I, I no idea, and I definitely did not expect what we get. It is a real shock that she arrives as bald as a Crenshaw melon, as we have, uh, as we've quickly established. She's wearing some sort of poncho, which Fraser describes as delightfully eccentric. And you know, she comes in. One thing that, whenever I, I mean, I, I don't want to be unfair. This isn't unfair to artists, but whenever I see artists' interviews or um, kind of artists, you know, in conversation about their work on TV or whatever, most artists I know. Um, by no, I mean no of. They all seem to be relatively humble, and they don't invite spotlight or press. You know, to them, the work is is enough, and the popularity of the work is enough. But Martha Paxson is just absolutely loving the fact that this party is for her. Like she kind of looks around, looks down on everyone as they're applauding her. And I just think, yeah, she's a real uh, she's a real character at this point. Yeah, I mean, she she takes center stage. She. Her she outfit does. is designed to take center stage. And even the way that she says she doesn't paint it, she's not in any way trying to be subtle or nice to Frasier. Yeah, she, she's, she's offended, it. isn't she? Yeah. Um, and she definitely, like so many artists, I mean, I've, I know mates who, who paint and things like that, and they like they always tend to like their work to speak for them rather than mm-hmm. them having to explain it or anything like that. Martha Paxton is not like that at all. And I think it's trying to take the mick out of the art community again, who maybe people a bit like Frasier who think they're very self-important because they maybe understand art or something like that. Yeah. And the the joke is that in this episode, obviously he doesn't understand, understand art at all. He's completely ignorant because the way he starts talking about art, as you said, it's a parody of, of kind of art critics. And, you know, I'm someone who's written about art in some capacities and I kind of write about it in you know, kind of in my day to day university work. And it is. Yeah. You know, sometimes I do stop and think, you know, for maybe to me, this makes sense. And, you know, other art historians or whatever, th- to this, this, this is kind of valid writing to them. But if you showed it to like a you know, Joe public down the pub, they'd laugh you out the building. And I think that's what this show is doing. It's kind of showing that gulf between quote unquote high and low culture. And it's it's taking the mick out of the, the people on the high end like Frasier. Yeah, I'm, I mean, for my, for me, I am definitely like Daphne. My view is, well, you liked the painting before. Yeah. Turned out to be a fake. What do you do? You still like it. So um... I, I, I completely agree. I think, I think you enjoy what you enjoy. 
I mean, famously, I'm sure you've seen, you know, the pictures of the dogs playing poker. Yes. So yeah. they're they're I can't remember who they're by. They're from kind of mid early to mid 20th century, I think. I'll have to double check. But they became really quickly associated with kind of kitschy, gaudy, like aesthetic. And if you had them hanging in your house, it was a sign that you had poor taste and kind of low culture. But now they're worth absolutely thousands because they're so famous. And some people probably at the time got a lot of enjoyment out of those kind of whimsical images. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you. And I think you should have hanging on your wall something that makes you happy and not about it's by someone famous or it's worth a lot of money. Yeah, I think art, I think art is such a subjective thing. Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've seen, you know, I've gone to museums and galleries and seen some art that is worth, I dare say, millions and millions of pounds. And I just yeah. don't get it. If it's too abstract, or I just don't connect with it in the same way as I would something that's perhaps a bit more, I don't know, I would say real and tangible sort of thing. Yeah, and Paxton's Elegy in Green, or at least what we think it's a Paxton at this point, yeah. it is completely abstract art. It's kind of got a Jackson Pollock type you know, vibe going on. I think that's what they're riffing on. And like Rothko, and I think I think Jackson and, and Rothko kind of similarly title their paintings with those kind of nonsense titles that don't really don't really relate but um one kind of just going off on a little side note away from the art for a second i've written down what i think is an observation here you might not agree with but you know we'll see i think this is the first episode where fraser's campness is really amped up a notch like the way he he runs to the the front door when he thinks martha paxton's there and he kind of checks the painting and he he's speaking and kind of oh you know there's la paxton fashionably late of course but the way he says it it's really playing on the fact that he's very effeminate in this scene and i think that's something that's like really played on in later seasons they really amp up his kind of effeminate side but yeah i don't know if that was an observation you made in this episode compared to previous ones he's he's way more kind of camp and and dramatic yeah I, i'd agree i'd say that I, I think he comes across as very excitable particularly in the first half of this episode yeah um until he finds out that it's a fake and and then he becomes a he becomes a bit more aggressive but doesn't really he doesn't it's not really face-to-face confrontation he you know he's gonna throw a brick through the guy's window he's not gonna punch him or anything like that Mm. um so i do think we see a different side to him yeah especially given that in previous episodes we have you know with his first fight i think it was two episodes ago something like that yeah Um, so we are seeing him in a more effeminate light a bit more like niles really than I think we've seen him yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. In the in the in the first kind of few episodes, and particularly I hate Fraser Crane. He ha- he has a slightly more, only only slightly more masculine quality because he goes through with the fight, and you know he is an imposing figure, and he, he gets pretty confrontational with Derek Mann, etc. But yeah, in this episode, he is he's way more like Niles. He's kind of just jumping around. He's so excited, and the way he's talking, it's the pretensions really amped up and. I mean, I know kind of camp drama and vaudeville and all of those kind of famous dramatic mediums were big influences on the writers. So, you know, maybe that's this is the first episode they can really do that because presumably the writers of Frasier would have known a million people like Martha Paxton and more importantly, a million people who collect paintings like Frasier and they know what these people are like and how to how to perfectly rib them. So it makes yeah. sense that this episode is particularly strong for that. And I think even if you think of when he goes down to the gallery mm. um, and he's having a go at the guy and the guy just pours, I think, a glass of wine into his mouth. And Fraser stops. one of the Loire Valley ones. <laughs> yeah, he stops, drinks, and goes, mm, yeah, that's not too bad. Um, oh, it just it finishes well. <laughs> yeah, and that is very, it's quite cam freely that he will stop and compliment or comment on wine <laughs> in the middle yeah, of that argument. Absolutely. Um, just before we move on to the to the dealer section, I just, I, 
it's interesting that this is the first episode where Ross has seen where Fraser lives. And I was surprised watching back that it took this long for her to go to his apartment because you kind of assume she's always there, really. Like, you know, most, I would say, one in two apartment scenes, Roz stops by at some point. So it was interesting this is the first time she sees his apartment. I guess in the the world building of the show, their you know their professional relationship and personal relationship kind of takes the next step by by bridging that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's two things I noticed about Roz coming to the apartment for the first time. Hmm. One, I love the line um, that she expected a lot of beige. <laughs> yeah, which is just, yeah. I mean, I, the logo of the logo to the the podcast rather is in homage to to the color scheme of Fraser's apartment in some ways. Yeah. And he is such a bloke that you can imagine his entire design scheme is beige. Yeah, I mean, um, and the episode where he gets the new carpet with like harvest wheat and bluff and putty, all of the colours are just practically identical. But to him, he can see a difference. Yeah, and and the second thing I really like this is I didn't realise this is the first time that Roz and Martin meet because I thought oh, they'd yeah met I forgot about that um, during Fraser's fight because I I thought Roz was in Cafe Nervosa when it was going to happen um, and evidently not because I know that. Um, um, that Martin actually, he says that Roz is really nice because, I think, what's, his, what's his line, I think? She's, um, she holds she's her looking liquor. and can hold her liquor. <laughs> no, but Roz is in the in, is in Nervosa for the Derek Mann bit because she, she's there first when he gets there. But I don't know if, he's, if she, yeah, did you did you just say that? Did you, that you know she's there yeah, I, she's not there? I was sure that they'd met in that episode. Oh, you were sure they did meet in that episode? I thought they had, but now I'm thinking, when he said that Roz is great, I'm assuming they haven't. This is the first time they've met so maybe did she go out uh, or was it a different scene perhaps where... yeah I, I get the impression that by the time yeah she oh yeah i think she leaves doesn't she to go and get a seat or something and then they all come in that that's possible it's that definitely makes, possible this that episode makes sense, yeah gives the impression it's the first time that um martin and, and Roz have met or at least yeah, yeah. I suppose the other way of seeing it is it's the first time they've had a proper conversation um absolutely no, I, th- I think you're right i think it's the first time they've met and i just love that martin's kind of defining characteristic of a good woman is that she could hold a liquor that is just so <laughs> typical here um so one thing we've kind of got the the the, the ending of the episode now which is fraser going to the to the art dealer the art dealer being typically smarmy and i can't remember his name it's hasten i think it's something hasten hasten um not philip hasten philip hasten philip hasten yeah. so yeah he which is i never realized his his name gets said a lot this episode like four or five times afterwards and and obviously it's on the window as well like i just thought it was just a throwaway line the first time I heard it, but they do refer to that quite a bit. Yeah. My questions was going to be, what is the name of the gallery? And then after the fourth or fifth time I heard it, I thought, no, I can't be asking that. <laughs> yeah, you're like, no, he's going to know it. It's going to internalise. So he's typically smarmy and and arrogant and aloof, and he he talks Frasier down and basically just says, you know, it's a cruel world. If you if you ever find justice in this world, you know, you let me know. And he he kind of just leaves. One thing I noticed in this episode, kind of going off on a tangent now, is Fraser is dressed very... Have you seen the film Wall Street with Martin Sheen? Uh, no, I have not. Okay, so in that film, um, Gordon Gecko is Martin Sheen's character. Um, and he wears kind of the classic, what I call, I think of as the quintessential like 80s suit. He has the blue shirt with the white collar, the red tie, the kind of pinstripe suit. That is, and he's got like the, the braces or the suspenders as they call them in, in the US. And he, 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 yeah, Fraser is dressed in that same shirt and tie combination throughout this whole episode. It is that kind of a, an homage to his his kind of high culture life he's living. You know, this is an episode that's flaunting Fraser's wealth, basically. So Yeah, I think so. And I think I it's wonder. got very much 
Josh. It's got an ego episode, mm. and I think that high culture '80s ego is definitely explored a bit within this episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know we're not meant to like him, but I really like Philip Hayson. <laughs> yeah, I do. He's got the gift of the gab, hasn't he? And it's just like people who are so cool under pressure like that can kind of talk their way out of anything. I mean, it's a terrible trait because. He's extremely untrustworthy and immoral, but you can't you can't not you can't help but not feel like you know slightly magnetized to his uh, charisma. I think. Yeah, and I love as well. Uh, I think Ronald and Diane, his two uh, little minions, who, who... <laughs> yeah, what? they're just they're like so typically kind of I just, just like, art, I love, art lovers. I love when when Fraser turns around and says, "It's not a Paxton," and the three of them just point to go, "It is a Paxton." It says right here. Yeah, it says right there. Like it just they clearly know. Yeah, it's kind of sending up the fact that they don't really know anything. They're going. Like Frasier, they're just going off face value and they just look like typically stereotypical avant-garde yeah, artists, which I think works really well. He does know Martha Paxton. He, he knows she's bold. That which... is true, actually. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. how would he kind of get a work from her and then and then not like, yeah, clarify with her that it's authentic? Or That's a good point, actually. And that kind of muddies the waters a little bit about how he got the painting and what that means. Uh, I mean, he's just... He's just—he's one of those people who's got an answer for everything. Even when he's told that it's a forgery, he goes, "Well, it's a damn good one." Then. Yeah, he just—he's got his wine and he's got his minions, and he just—yeah, he's always got a—he's always got a way out. So Philip Hayson, its a shame he doesn't come back. He'd have been a nice kind of cameo appearance, maybe in another episode involving some more art thievery. Yeah. Um, we have a great line when we're kind of back at Fraser's apartment. Um, oh no, I think this is before. Yeah, this is before he goes down with the brick and uh, Niles confronts him. Cut between this scene and the next scene. Um, I think so far it's the best use for me of a title card. What was the title card? Because um, the scene with him in the gallery ends with, I am not leaving, I'm not leaving, I'm not leaving. And then the title card is after he left. Yeah, I love that one. I like when the title card is kind of a knowing punchline to something that's happened to the show. That's a really nice one. In fact, speaking of favourite lines, Niles says at the uh, when they're at the apartment before they go down to the gallery to kind of wreak revenge he says lawyers make excellent patients they have great health insurance and they never get better which i think is just phenomenal it's so true it's so true <laughs> it's such a good it's such a good line it's lawyers lawyers do get a fair kind of the the fair brunt of the stick i think as fraser goes on well when donnie's introduced and maris's lawyers during the divorce etc yeah, um kind of lawyers sure. come up a lot and they're, they're not particularly painted in a very good light i mean i don't know any tv show that ever paints lawyers in a good light um particularly no, no, yeah you know, suits or something but i don't even know i haven't watched suits so it might be a very damning uh portrait i think particularly america as well because i think they're much 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 more litigious as a nation than we are yes i um, think you're right lawyers probably have a much worse reputation over there and i think ambulance chasers and things like that are far more common in america than in this country yeah uh, and just literally yeah. listening to niles he sues his contractors and he yeah. sues like the other guy and yeah it's just yeah. if niles can sue people then anyone can yeah um we have eddie has eaten one of daphne's earrings as well and uh i think he's eaten it i think that's what the joke is because obviously daphne's premonition is that he's running around the house and they all chase after him i don't know if he's like daphne got it in his mouth or something uh it's another time that daphne gets a psychic prediction correct yes it is we, we should kind of keep a track of these there's so many little little stats i want to keep track of as the show goes on but um yeah and so they, they kind of chase after eddie after a funny moment where they emerge from fraser's room and it looks like they've been kind of up to no good and uh Niles, I love the way he says searching the credenza when when Frasier kind of questions him with a raised eyebrow about 
why he looks so dishevelled. Is this the f- closest we see Daphne to kind of rumbling that Niles likes her? Because I just don't even. I just I don't know. I th- I don't think she does notice anything to miss in this moment. I don't know. How did you read it? I was thinking earlier on when he's uh, he's smelling her hair, and she asks him, "Were you smelling my hair, Doctor Crane?" And I think off some head, I think he just denies it. Um, yeah, and he says, "You know, I love my Maris. I'm a happily married yeah. man." So, yeah, um, that's think... a good point, actually. Maybe she is kind of twigging a little bit. Yeah, that's one of the only times I think I can think of where she's not completely oblivious. Yeah. Well, she seems to acknowledge something. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. Um, she's kind of because she, it is it is weird. Like, I know it's meant to be cute, and Niles is a bit neurotic and weird, and he's infatuated, but. It is weird to invade someone's personal space like that. And Daphne's pretty calm and collected about it. But shes I think she's taken a little bit aback. And Niles' defensiveness as well. In any normal human being, if you were Daphne, you'd think, man, he got defensive about that. Yeah. Something's up. I think that's the reason they've probably made sure that she's oblivious going forward. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Creepy very fast. If... <laughs> and he'd go, no, no, no. So the episode ends with a great kind of interaction and exchange between Fraser and Niles when Fraser goes down to throw the brick through the window Niles stops him and they have that kind of great exchange about kind of what happened to Niles as a as a as a, as a when he was bullied at school and and he was called peach fuzz by coach Medwick and just yeah I mean what what did you kind of make of this as a as an ending of an episode I absolutely love this and it's just I love Niles's little monologue about what happened to him and it ending with him saying you know if you act like a barbarian you will become a barbarian yeah and it, it becomes like this really nice life lesson and then instantly as soon as he finds out about the nicknames I struck a blow for justice nobody calls me Peach Fuzz now let's get the hell out of here <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, he just Niles completely loses it and sees yeah. red, which I just we don't see enough of in the show. And I think in this sort of sitcom, in this sort of scene, you'd kind of expect him to do that speech and then to say, "Okay, we'll go home and we won't throw the brick, and it'll be a nice little moral lesson for the viewers." Mm. I love the fact that they do still throw the brick. Yeah, and the, and the fact that he chucks money in because he's like, you know, we might be barbarians, but we pay for our pillaging or that's whatever that's the quote that's is. The line of the whole episode, actually, I think I it's, love that line. Yeah, it's so so good, and it just the fact that they kind of come together and not the way Niles says you know I've struck a blow for justice and he the way he says that and he just kind of the way he's pictured in front of the window I just think yeah as episode endings go this has been up there as some of the best so far yeah I think this is definitely for me it's definitely the strongest scene of the whole episode is the last one um, yeah as much I as I really so. like the scene in the gallery and the whole interaction with with Philip I just I love this final scene of the episode I think it's a fantastic scene between and all, it's one of the few times as well I think that I, I noted this as I was watching it it's one of the few times I think that we see Fraser and Niles just sort of out in the world in the real world not at Nevada. yeah yeah, I made a note of this. Seeing them on the street, of the, on the sidewalks and stuff. And it, 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 I mean, I mentioned Edward Hopper earlier. It's got a very Edward Hopper feel to it. The kind of noir sidewalk where nothing's, you know, no one's no one's out late at night and it's just Fraser skulking around in his trench coat. Just got one old couple who were just staring at him. <laughs> who nearly spot him, yeah. And he does actually really wait for them to get out of earshot before <laughs> deciding to throw the uh, the brick, which I think is, is brave and also stupid of him. Yeah, so we've spoke pretty highly of this episode so far. So I'm going to ask you this week, it's probably my turn. Is this episode in your top 10? I really like this episode for me it's it's a really strong episode but it's not in my top 10 it is not in my top 10 either but 
I mean, I do love I Hate Fraser Crane, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is my favourite episode of the se- of season one so far. I would agree, I think. I think for me, whenever I watch, whenever I start re-watching Frasier, I feel I get to this episode and now I'm like, yeah, we're getting into the good stuff now. Yeah, I completely agree. Just the whole art vibe to it. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's because I like art and I like people that take the mickey out of people who like art as well. And I just, this is a really smart episode. It's just written really nicely. And I like that yeah. it's riffing on, on kind of Frasier's world. Yeah. And I think last week, I think we criticized the episode a little bit for not necessarily developing the characters enough and shoehorning jokes in, shoehorning, you know, they had to get, like last week, they had to get a telescope into the building just so they could progress the plot. Yeah. This episode, I don't think you have any of that. I think it all goes quite naturally. I, th- I think you're right in that last week didn't develop the characters and this week does because we see so another two huge sides to Frasier and Niles in particularly the ending but uh, their kind of handling of the scene and Frasier kind of being trod on by you know he becomes the little guy by being trod on and being deceived but him, yeah. him trying to reconcile that as well is, is an interesting dynamic. And it's a typical Frasier episode as well that you do get these like little moments of wisdom throughout the episode. Like the way uh, Martin says to him, you know, you're 41, you've got to learn that the police, the courts, all those things that you think are going to be there for you, sometimes they're, they're just not. Yeah. Uh, you've got to deal with it. And that's true. I mean, it's bang on true. Absolutely. I completely agree. Just a couple of things to kind of wrap up then as we, as we come to the end of episode six, uh, The Crucible. I last week promised, well, we both promised, but I went away and did the uh, did the homework in inverted commas to count how many coffees. Well, basically, we want to keep a Fraser coffee count for the entire series. And by coffee count, I mean one of the main cast members. So Fraser, Niles, Martin, Daphne or Roz. Those are the five I've kind of defined as kind of the five key cast members. If any of them drink a coffee in Nervosa, it will get added to the coffee count. And I will play a little... That will keep track of how many people have coffees as the show goes on, because we know they drink a lot of them. But there's no Café Nervosa in this episode, but I can tell you, Key, because I'm sure you're on the edge of your seat, that by episode six, by this episode, they have had ten coffees in Nervosa. Uh, between them, they've had ten. They've had ten, so not a, not a you know unremarkable amount, I don't think, for how many episodes we've had. We're not that deep into the show. Yeah, I mean, if you think five episodes in, um, often there's at least two of them in Nervosa. So mm-hmm. a bit like one each per episode, really. Yeah, and I, I think in one episode, I can't remember which one it was when I went back and looked, but they... Uh... They, they have like two each in the episode as well. So they were kind of back at Nervosa for a later scene. Okay, so now we're at the end of this episode. It's time for Whose Crane Is It Anyway? Where I quiz you on an obscure line from the show, or usually just a couple of words that someone says, and you're going to tell me who said them. And the quote I've chosen is enchanting, just enchanting. Oh. Um, Can you tell me who says that? My first thought is that it's going to be Niall saying it to Daphne. Oh, uh, yeah, is it not saying about Daphne? You are absolutely correct. I have not picked a bloody hard one enough. <laughs> uh, God, you, you're too good for me, Kate. You've got three out of three on the damn trivia, and you've got who's crying is it anyway. It is Niles when Fraser basically gives her a marching order to go replenish the cocktails, and uh, he's kind of chasing after her into the kitchen. So, yeah, that is that. Is that. Congratulations. Thank but you. other than that, I think we've kind of covered the Crucible. Next week, we will be moving on to Season 1, Episode 7, which is Call Me Irresponsible. But for now, we finish this week's review of The Crucible. I've been Will. I've been Key. And thank you very much for listening to We're Listening. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Well, maybe. But I got you pegged. Ha, 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 ha. 
But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and screws. 